Welcome to the Fail Forward podcast. The purpose of this podcast is change the negative stigma around failure into a positive. Failure is only a negative if we do not learn from it and we give up. Welcome back to the Fail Forward podcast. Today, I'm very honoured to have Nick James. Nick is the founder of Expert Empires. He is also my mentor and delivers a world-class mastermind, which I am part of. So welcome, Nick. Thanks, Henry. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Let's get stuck into it. So, Nick, your um, entry into the self-development world was at quite a young age, very opposite to me. Mine was five years ago. So tell me a little bit about um, your upbringing and being in that self-development world and how that felt and how it was for you. Yeah, I think probably quite a unique upbringing in a, in a lot of respects, really. So um, my mum kind of embarked on her personal development journey uh, in the early 90s when I was 10, 11 years of age. Um, that came about because she was working as an operations director for a big corporate um, and it was part of their kind of training budget that they assigned for her and some of the team to go to a Tony Robbins seminar. Um, and she kind of fell in love with personal development and went on her own journey, uh, went to, um, you know, the kind of mastery university courses, which are hosted in exotic locations all over the world. And um, I was fortunate enough to be taken along, dragged along, you might say. Um, but, but, you know, what an experience from, uh, from, I think, 12 years of age when I went to the first, first one, which was in Hawaii, all the way through to when I was probably 19 or 20. Um, I spent, I mean, it would have been many, many weeks a year in America, Australia, the Far East, um, all over the world, you know, surrounded by amazing people on this personal development journey, um, which I think gave me um, a real, a real leg up, if you like. Um, And, you know, a lot of the things that I learned back then, I still use to this day in my business. So, um, yeah, very fortunate. I'm well aware of that. I don't take that for granted. I certainly um, I, you know, I am aware that it probably gave me that education, that upbringing gave me a big, a big advantage. It, yeah, I, I completely agree. It probably did give you an advantage, but just from another perspective, being a teenager, um, you know, you needed to embrace that, which is amazing. So, but how did it feel? Were you kind of like, what is this mum? Like, yes, I want to go. I don't want to be in school. I don't want to, yeah, I, you know, going to Hawaii and all these exotic places sounds amazing. But when you were there as a, as a teenager, did you fully embrace it? Were you thinking, what is this all about? What, how did you feel? Yeah. Um, well, as you say, Henry, it was a, first of all, it was a great way to get out of school. So, um, you know, I, I actually did take quite a lot of time out of education like for to go and do this alternative education so you know it it wouldn't be uncommon for me to have a week or two weeks during term time off when i'd go uh, and do this but um i think at first i didn't really know what what it was or what i was getting into and then just really started enjoying traveling and and meeting amazing people and learning and and so um yeah I, i kind of fell in love with it i guess um after the initial not really knowing what my mum had been up to and not understanding it really really um embraced it and uh, i think what was what was challenging at times was explaining it to my friends um i i suspect although i don't really know my mum probably had some challenges explaining it to the school as to why i was you know being taken out of school for weeks at a time um but uh, i think you know as i said certainly embraced it and you know made some really good friends who who i would um who also were you know in a similar uh, i guess you know their family setup was similar to mine and their parents were enjoying um their personal development journey and so uh, you know it, i had friends in that environment that that you know some of whom i'm still friends with to this day Absolutely love that. And so you were fully embraced into the self-development world. You were learning from the likes of Tony Robbins and people like that, which is just, you know, very positive, inspirational character. So what was your plan? Like when you were going through this this, this journey, you were thinking about um, leaving school and were you, were you always set on starting a business straight away? Yeah. So I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I had no idea what that meant or what it looked like, you know, in, in my teenage years. Um but I always knew I wanted to have a business. So um, I, w- I went to university, um, did business studies at university, um, realised that actually business studies at university was studying big businesses and not studying how to start and run a small business. And for me, the two are very different. Um, 
and uh, and so realized you know part way through that that degree that actually what i was learning whilst valuable wasn't actually going to help me um start my own business and, and go down that route so um yeah i ended up leaving uh university set up my own business um as a youth coach so you know I, I figured i'd been through personal development and coaching and all these things um and you know a, a kind of um what would i have been probably 20 years of age i went hey you know what like i think that i could help young people who are struggling with exam stress or mental health issues or confidence or whatever um so i decided to become a youth coach and i thought maybe i could go and speak in schools and teach the things that i've learned um failed dismally um because i didn't understand how to run a business really like i said i've been at university and they taught me i remember the e-commerce section of the business studies uh degree kind of module was studying the tesco website i'm like what like one of the biggest com companies in the in the uk what relevance does that have to me starting a small youth coaching business not a lot really um you know and there was a lot in there um, like I said, not not saying it wasn't valuable. There was a lot in there about employment law and accounting and you know all these things. I go great and not that relevant when you're 20 years of age and you want to start a youth coaching business. So I'd learned a lot, um, but it wasn't that applicable. So you know ultimately um, that business failed because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, I wish somebody had taught me what I know now, which is at the early stages of the business, it's about standing out, getting attention, and making sales. That's it. Um, and uh, I went and worked for um, a small um, events company. So uh, it was kind of like what Tony Robbins does worldwide, these big, you know, um, you know thousands of people, uh, events all over the world. It was kind of a mini version of that. Um, so it was a, a small company based down in the southeast of the UK, and they were running events for, you know, maybe 50 to 100 people in London. And uh, so I went and learned from them you know i learned sales i learned marketing i learned a bit about finance and you know i spent a couple of years in that environment then when i went and set my first proper business i knew what it took to start and operate a small business in that in that way so i think i often say that the the 18 months or whatever it was maybe two years that i was with that small business probably learned more than i had in a couple of years at university um, because it was more relevant to what I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely love that. And I think a lot of people go to university, don't they, and want to get the get the skills to be able to do it, but there's nothing like getting stuck in and learning it. Um, and quite often, like when you're in the self-development world, like you've been brought up with, you know, the going to these places, it's quite a bubble, isn't it, that you're in? And it, you get this kind of, I, I get it when I come to your expert empires where I get this massive buzz and you're learning all this information, you're connecting with all these new people, but then the next week you pick up, you go into the office on a Monday morning and it's back to the hard grind of, of getting the work done. Um, and there's a lot that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in in building and growing a business. So the first business that you started with the with be, trying to be a youth coach, when that failed, did you ever have a feeling of like, oh, maybe I just need to go and and the baby business isn't for me? What what was it that pushed you on to still want to go and start businesses after that first failure? Yeah, um, yeah, great question. And and you know what? No, it didn't really. I think I realised like. I'm just lacking in some information. I'm lacking in the education. I don't know what I don't know. Um, so I, I, I guess I had um, a reasonable degree of self-confidence and self-belief, probably because of the personal development um, and, you know, having been in that environment for a long time. And actually, um, i tell you the other reason. Um, I, I do believe that I was parented extremely well. Um, now, not traditional, you know, normal upbringing as far as parenting goes, but I was parented really well. So, um, look, I'm an only child. So basically what that means is I was spoiled rotten and I was told constantly how amazing I am. Now, of course, that could go one of two ways because if you're spoiled rotten, you take everything for granted. But I think um, for me, being told how amazing I was all the time just built high levels of self-esteem and, and self-belief, which you need if you're going to, start a business because you know you are going to have rejection you are going to have people um complain and and you know if you build a personal brand on social media you're going to get people taking a piss and all sorts of stuff so i think i needed that 
Um, and what was really unique about my upbringing was um, my mum and dad split up when I was very little. I think I was three when they split up. Um, and so I actually spent most of my childhood living with um, my mum on our own. And uh, quite a lot of the time I spent with my grandparents, my mum's parents. And so I lived, when she was away working, I would stay with them. Um, and so, well, most people listening to this or watching this can probably be, relate to how grandparents are with their grandkids. It's like they could do no wrong. They're like the golden children. You know, I mean, my kids are spoiled rotten by my mom now. Um, and she probably thought I was spoiled by them and hated that. And But, you know, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and um, and they were, um, whilst my, uh, my parents um, separated very young, uh, when I was very young. And so, you know, that was probably a little bit volatile and, you know, I wasn't parented traditionally mom and dad at home. Um, my nan and granddad gave me such a solid foundation because they were like my constant throughout my whole life, really. Up and you know, they, they passed away. Um, uh, my granddad passed away maybe 10, 12 years ago now, I think, and my nan last year. So, but I think they were the constant. They were what gave me this stability, which I think is really important for kids. Um, and I built a lot of confidence and self-esteem from that upbringing and the personal development combined, which meant that, to answer your question, when my first business failed, I didn't go, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not cut out for this. I just went, hey, you know what? Um, I'm 20 or 21 years of age. There's probably a lot of stuff that I don't know yet. Here's somebody, uh, a guy called Andy Harrington, who I think you know, Henry, and um, I know well, and he's a great friend to this day. Here's a guy who's built businesses before, and he's now doing something in the industry that I want to work in. Um, you know, let's and and you know, we'd met through the Tony Robbins kind of seminar world. I was really good friends with his wife, um, and so I went to work with him uh, initially in sales, and then did some speaking for him and marketing. And you know, I, I got a real well-rounded view. I always credit Andy um, really for being my first mentor in business and learning so much from him. Um, and then when I went out on my own, I was fully equipped to um you know to to succeed second time around yeah absolutely love that and andy's a very successful person so what what a person to to be around and, and experience that and um i suppose going back then like masterminds seem like quite a, a new age thing even though they've been around for a long time so at that point if I, trying to find uh, masterminds and things going actually having um the 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 kind of thought to go right i'm going to go and work for this guy and going to go and learn all from him is, is amazing so well it's, uh, it's the ultimate yeah. mastermind really because i i wasn't just going to you know a seminar or a mastermind meeting once a month i was living it every single day and so um you know i i mean i literally moved my entire life um when i was like like i said 21 22 moved my entire life down to uh, seven oaks in kent um, and all my friends, all my family, everything's in Birmingham. So I literally um, got in my rickety little car, packed my entire life into it and moved down there. And basically my family became the people I was working with. So Andy, very successful businessman and his wife, um, you know, his kids were very little and they're all grown up now. But, you know, so like I would like babysit his kids sometimes. I, you know, I was around his house all the time. So, um, you know, the other members of the team that he built. Um, I was really good mates um, with one of the other sales guys and we, we rented a house together. So I was immersed in, and, and everybody in that business was obsessed about personal development. So, you know, we would um, eat really healthy, work out, um, you know, always working on ourselves, always reading, taking courses. Obviously we were immersed in the personal development environment um, pretty much every single day. We were running seminars every single week. So it was like you were so immersed in it. And I think that that 18 month to two year period of total immersion, you mentioned it earlier about, you know, you can go to a seminar or whatever, or a mastermind, or, or you can listen to a podcast and you feel like you know, invigorated and inspired. And then, you know, the reality of life hits you when you get back to the office or back, get back home and, you know, you struggle to keep the momentum. It was impossible for me to not have momentum when I was immersed in it every single day. And so I, I do think that going and working in that environment, getting a job, you know, which for somebody who's got an entrepreneurial tendency is really hard to go and get a job and, and work as an employee, best thing I ever did. Um, and one of, you know, one of the things that I love most about what we do now, we've got 26 people in our team and growing and, you know, they're, they're getting the experience that I had in my early 20s, being immersed in an environment that's supportive 
and that's about developing people. Um, and so I think, you know, that's good advice for young entrepreneurs. If you feel like, you know, there's still some education, um, you know, go and work for somebody. Uh, you know, a lot of, most of our team are under the age of 30. Um, and, you know, I'm really all about, um, you know, hopefully educating, developing, inspiring uh, to a certain degree young people. And the best way I know to do that now is to get them to come and work with us immersed, um, you know, because I think that's where you get most transformation and most change. Yeah, I mean, absolutely love that. And your team, um, and I'm not just saying it's because you're on a podcast, they're a fantastic team to be around all the time. You can see the culture you've got there and how everyone pulls together. And it's kind of like for me, we and Ashley came up last week and did a three day at your at your um, headquarters. And our, we're kind of using your mastermind like you did with Andy Harrington to go, okay, because we're not just there to go, okay, to here we're learning about sales the next three days. I said to Ashley on the way up, like you're going to be watching what everyone's doing, like who's coming into the room, how the AV set up, how the room set up, you know, what are we getting as, as you know, booklets and things like that and looking at the whole thing. That's kind of like the learning because we want to do the same as what you do, but for the tree surgery industry. And we're going, okay, like you've got this really great well-rounded business with a good team. This is kind of what we want to create. Um, a quick question on that because we'll get back into sort of your timeline but i noticed that you have everybody in uh, that they're all working within your headquarters and covid produced this kind of like working from home split office hybrid working people all over the place like why is it that you keep everyone in as a team in in an, in a in the head office yeah great question i think i think it's um so much easier to create that immersion experience that I described when everyone's in the same building. Um, so much easier to build trust, rapport, great foundations in terms of relationships, which mean that whenever there might be, inevitably, when you work so closely with people, there's always going to be tension and friction occasionally. It's easily resolvable because, you know, most of the team are sitting and eating lunch together every single day. They know everything about each other. Um, and that's so much easier to create when you're in the same physical space um it's not impossible to do it with a remote team it's just harder so during covid um we were doing daily team huddles on zoom 9 30 every morning and we're doing we did uh weekly like um friday afternoon um you know we would do like on on zoom one of the team would come up with a game and we all have a drink together on zoom and have, you know we were, we were constantly working on trying to maintain um and sustain that culture we built in the office. Um, and what was really interesting, and I know a lot of companies didn't have this, as soon as we could, everyone was desperate to get back to the office. Nobody wanted to work remote after that. Like there wasn't a, oh, I've got used to this. Like I wanna work from home three days a week. Um, as soon as we could, um, like everyone wanted to come back in. And so um, it, it never really became an issue for us that the you know people wanted to work remotely it was just like yeah we've missed it so much um and i think a lot of businesses missed a trick because they saw the they saw the cost saving of not having an office and went well let's not have an office anymore i mean i, I just believe that re the cost of our office running relative to the size of business we are is so small that you know it just doesn't i, I believe that we generate double triple quadruple 10x who knows the amount of revenue that it costs us to run the office um because we're in the office and of course we're a live events business um so you know it, there are some people that need to be physically there anyway um and i i don't know about anyone else i couldn't wait to get back to running live events in person i was so sick of sitting literally i sat in the seat I'm sat in right now, because I'm at home today, um, looking at the screen that I'm looking at right now, and you know, 23 minutes has passed and you know, it's flown by. But when you're doing this eight hours a day, it's a drag. Um, and I was literally staring at a screen, doing what I'm doing now with you, eight hours a day with with clients, with team members, um, you know, running online trainings, masterminds, you name it. Um, and it was exhausting. So I couldn't wait to get back to the live in-person experience and the team couldn't either but i think that that's because a we've got a great team that loves spending time together like li literally um you know it's friday today we're recording this like friday afternoon friday evening i guarantee a load of them will be spending time together tonight 
Um, and they were meeting up over the weekend socially. Like, they love spending time together. So they, like, being in the office in person um, just supports that, I think. Now, not everyone has that same view. And I know a lot of businesses have succeeded and thrived with a more remote culture. So I'm not saying I'm right, they're wrong. It's just different. It's just our way of doing it. Yeah, no, and and I love it, and it works because you can see when you come up there, you feel that from the team, like you feel that that there's that energy there that everyone bounces off each other, and it works really well, and it helps create that experience for me as a mentee coming to 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 your office to get that from everybody. Um, and that was a bit of a selfish question because we're basically waiting to we're in the process of bringing all three of our businesses into one office, and I've been umming and ahhing about the cost, and you've just answered it. I'm like, yes, it's just helped cement me that I, I need to build that that central team. So, go, but what, one of the things on that um because when i first did it i probably didn't have the same level of belief that i've got now but we were spending so much money with hotels and venues to run our masterminds and our events um i actually i did the calculations i went well if we took the money we we're spending out externally through you know with hotels and and conference centers and things like that to run our events and we run those events in-house how much is it going to cost us to do that in kind of renting office space and and other costs it, it was a zero sum game. It was like, well, we're not gonna, we're not actually gonna spend any more money. But what we are gonna have is we're gonna have control over the environment. Um, silly little things like travel time. I was like, it's gonna save loads of travel time for team members going from the office to the venue and back, from me going to the venue and back. So um, yeah, at first I did have to crunch the numbers to make sure it was justifiable, which it was for us. Um, it wasn't cheaper, but it wasn't more, more expensive either. Um, but the bit that I hadn't bargained on or, or accounted for was the extra value that would come culturally from having everyone in one place and having clients come and see that and experience that as well. Um, one thing I can tell you, and I don't have specific data, is that our sales performance at events has increased dramatically since the events have taken place in our own venue rather than what i always say is you know anyone could rock up at the novatel with a couple of roller banners that cost like 40 or 50 quid a piece and give a seminar um but when people come to our venue they see hey this is a serious established business it's got you know a big team it's got offices it's got a training venue it's got all of these things it, it just adds to the uh, the authority i suppose um and the certainty that people have in us uh, as a service provider yeah yeah and i definitely definitely feel that for sure um when i come along and just to how the whole setup it's all very slick and it's all done like it's a well-oiled machine so it definitely would um give that feeling for sure um so going back you've you've gone um, and worked for andy what was the next step after leaving andy did you stay in seven oaks did you move back to birmingham what was the next phase for you uh well uh, we haven't got time for, for me to explain all the intricacies because it went but i'll give you the short version it went seven oaks london uh, Cyprus, Warwick, Birmingham, and here we are. So there was a lot of movement, and, and some of that was um, me uh, working in other businesses. Some of it was consulting. Some of it was um, starting my own business. So there was a lot of different things that happened, um, which I won't bore you with. Um, but, but ultimately, um, ended up whilst in Cyprus, um, working uh, in the company for a while, um, kind of doing sales consultancy and marketing consultancy set up my own business um, and then we started running live events um, mostly in the well all in the UK and so I went well traveling back from Cyprus to the UK every month was getting uh, draining and then my then fiance now wife Natalie got pregnant and I was like I don't want to be spending a week a month away leaving her in Cyprus on her own with a newborn so that was when we moved back to the UK and that's when the business really started to kind of um, you know put down some roots and uh, and start to grow. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, so moving on, once you put those roots in, um, what was the, your business journey like after that? Yeah. So initially, um, you know, it was, it was all service-based. So it was, um, I, I'd got really good, partly because I think I had a natural flair for it, but also I'd been, you know, well-trained and educated. I got really good at, at marketing uh, and writing email campaigns and sales letters and marketing materials. So when the business really started to take off, I was basically, going to people like you henry or, or you know or andy or um, people that run training businesses um and i was doing the marketing for them i was essentially a little um uh, i suppose you'd call it a little mini marketing agency um and so you know it did quite well with that reached a point where I, you know there wasn't enough time left in the day 
to provide the service to all my clients. So started teaching, here's how you do good marketing. Um, and then, of course, I could teach. Um, I think we had eight people come to the first ever training, but, you know, I could teach eight or 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 people all at once rather than just exchanging my time for money by providing the done-for-you service. Um, so we we kind of scaled back the done-for-you service and scaled up the teaching training part of the business. Um, what I did was I actually, um, whilst I scaled back the done-for-you, I, I still did it, but just did it for a premium. So I was I was getting paid quite decent chunks of money for doing the done-for-you. And then if people didn't want to pay that, they could come and learn for much less money. Um, and then, you know, we, we built up, um, I think the first kind of group program, the first mastermind that I ever ran uh, was 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, you know, the first meeting was in my lounge at my house. And, uh, you know, I think we had six people or something. Um, you know, and today we've got uh, just under 300 people in our various different group programs. And, yeah, we definitely can't run them in the lounge anymore. Um but, but yeah, you know, it, it, and in between that, of course, you know, run, I mean, we've run hundreds of live events. Um, we do between 150 and 200 days a year of live in-person training, either um, at our training center, most of it is for our existing clients like yourself, mastermind meetings, um, uh, things like that. And also, you know, we do kind of open to the public workshops where, you know, people co will come in for a day. And we'll teach them how to sell better. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, maybe they'll purchase an additional program or training with us. Or, you know, they'll come and spend a day with Adam, who's our head of marketing, learning about marketing campaigns. Um, so we do kind of public events and also then kind of closed door private events for our clients like yourself. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely love that. Um, so you've gone from six in your front room to now 300. Um, and that may look like a like a nice straight line going up, but there must have been some bumps in the road. So tell me about those. Um, many, uh, loads of mistakes, um, like big lessons. I was uh, I was running an event the last three days and this came up in conversation, you know, um, made some real mistakes. I was quite naive. Um, when, I, when you're really good at sales and marketing, the danger is that you oversell and then fail to deliver. And I definitely fell into that trap 2011, 2012. Um, I've always been, you know, like I said, natural flair for, for marketing and writing copy and fairly good at sales, had some really good training on that um, from Andy when I was a lot younger. So I was good at making sales, um, but my attention to detail around delivering on the promises wasn't so good. Uh, so made loads of mistakes there and, um, you know, um, let clients down in the early days, um, which, you know, I regret, but also it was a great lesson. And, you know, I did everything necessary to make that right. Um, had a business partnership um, 2013 to 2015, where we merged with another company um, and we partnered together. Um, we went our separate ways in 2015. That was extremely painful because we built that business up to, uh, I think we had 19 people in the team, you know, um, two and a half, three million a year in revenue. Um, and, you know, we ended up parting ways. And in July 2015, I started from scratch with nothing, no money, no team, no clients, zero. Um, so that was a very painful experience. But again, like all of this, I know the podcast called Fail Forward, like in every case where I've quote unquote failed, it's always been a learning experience. It's always been a catalyst for me to then move forward. And, um, you know, I, I honestly would not chat. I'm, I'm grateful for that experience of having a business partnership and, you know, it failing. I'm so grateful for that experience because um, I would never have been able to build what I've built today. And, you know, as I sit here today, you know, the company uh, or the companies that I own um, are the biggest that they've ever been, you know, I've got the biggest team I've ever had. I've got, you know, the most number of clients I've ever had. I've got, you know, the highest annual revenues I've ever had. Um, and none of that would have been possible without those learning experiences. You know, I was very naive back then in kind of 2014, 2015 about the financials of running a business. Um, and so, you know, after that experience, I, I promised myself I was going to learn and master that. Um, which I think I've done a fairly good job of since. And, you know, so all of this has been a catalyst and all of this is just, um, first of all, um, been valuable lessons. And second of all, just maybe more hungry, I think, to um, to grow and to succeed. So uh, I know if somebody had said to me, and they did, by the way, um, that by the way, the first person I called when I was at my absolute you know, lowest low, rock bottom, 
um, was Andy, was my first mentor. And I was like, look, like, this is like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, uh, this is rock bottom. Um, and I remember we, we, uh, I was on the, I was on the phone to him. I was, I went up to see my dad who lives up North. Um, and I was like on a long car journey back home to Birmingham. Um, I remember having probably an hour plus on the phone with Andy. Um, and he, he didn't really give me any like major advice. He was just like, mate, like look at everything you've achieved over the last, you know, since we met to today, like, you know, the answers, you're going to be fine. Um, you know, like you've got everything it takes and more to succeed. And he really just kind of gave me a pep talk and, and raised, you know, reminded me of a few things and raised my confidence. Um, and I remember coming back home after, you know, being away at my dad's for a few days, licking my wounds. Um, and uh, I came back on fire and I was just like, right, I have no other choice now but to succeed. Um, and, and you know, that experience was exactly what I needed. I'd probably got, if I'm being honest, I probably got a little bit lazy and a little bit comfortable. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and I, I needed that that kick up the arse to, to get myself back on track and to really fulfil my potential, which I probably wasn't then. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, as this podcast would suggest, um, failure is always an opportunity to move forward. And I certainly used it for that for that purpose. Yeah, absolutely love that. Matt, El- Matt Elwell said it last week, win or learn, not 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 fail. So and and absolutely loved it when he said that. Um and so just going back at that point where you're like you're driving up, you before you speak to Andy, like you you're crushed. At at that point, did you have feelings of like, do you know what, this this business stuff, it's not for me. Maybe this isn't for me. Did you have all those self-doubt things coming in? Because I know earlier you talked about the, the self-confidence that you, you'd sort of had from an early age. But, you know, everyone goes through those kind of thoughts, don't they, where they don't feel good enough. To how, how was that for you? Yeah, you, you know what? Um, this might not be the answer you wanted me to to share. But, but no, like I was devastated and upset and distraught and all of those things. But not once did I ever consider not, being an entrepreneur and not starting with a business because I'd almost, I'd almost got to that point where, you know, I'd had um, probably seven years of doing that and that alone. Um, and so I didn't really know any different. Um, I, I literally, like there was never the idea or, or, or the option to go and get a job. I was, but, but the reason that it was so hard and so painful, which I realized later um, through working with my coach, amazing guy called Jeff Mask, um, what he helped me realize was that at that point, my sense of self-worth was so linked to the success of the business that when that business failed, I lost my sense of self-worth as well. Um, and so uh, I, even though I was like, right, I know I'm, I, I never considered going and getting a job or anything. And I knew that I could um, succeed in business. There was no doubt in my ability to do that, but I, I just was, um, yeah, you know, my, my ego was really bruised because it's like I built up this 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 um, persona of like I was the co-founder and director of this amazing company with you know two three million a year in revenue and a great team and I built that was me that was who I was but um and so my my whole sense of self worth was linked to that persona and then when that persona disappeared um so did my sense of self worth. But it, it really gave me over the years that, that followed, um, I learned a lot about myself and I realized that actually I wasn't appreciating or acknowledging the other parts of my life and how important they were. So, you know, today I get a huge amount of self, um, you know, my self-worth comes from a, a, a huge degree um, of satisfaction from my health and fitness, from my family, from being a great husband, from being a great dad. Yes, of course, for being the CEO of a group of amazing companies, I get I get my needs met there as well. But before it was it was almost all from business, uh, and that was a mistake, um, and that was a big lesson that I had. Um, and I think I do, I knew deep down that I I had the skills to succeed in business because I've done it before. I knew how to market and sell a product or service. I knew how to operate a business and build a team. I'd done it before. It was just a long way back it, it felt like it literally felt like i'd worked for seven years to climb to the top of the mountain and then all of a sudden i'd fallen off and i was right back down the bottom again and i was like right it's that and i knew how hard it was to get to the top the first time around i was like did uh, the question was do i want to and i think at first i didn't at first i didn't want to build a big business again at first i just wanted to um just to you know have a business that provided 
a decent life for my family. That was the motivation to start with. Um, but then as I got momentum, I started to get excited about the possibility of getting to the top of the mountain again. Um, and what I realized was second time around, it's much quicker because you've got all the lessons from the first time around. So it didn't take me anywhere near as long to get back to where we were. That was the first thing. Um, and also what I realized was the top isn't the top. And that actually I wasn't at the top the first time around. And I'm still not at the top now. It's just levels. And, you know, um, my coach, Jeff, has an amazing saying, which is that leadership is a summitless mountain. And I, I'd probably edit that and say, um, and I agree with that, entrepreneurship is a summitless mountain. You're never going to reach the summit. When you think you're at the summit, there's always another level. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there was two things, really. The first one was that um, second time round was much faster because I had the benefit of experience from first time round. Um, and um, second time round, I realised that I wasn't at the top anyway, that there's always another level. Yeah. Yeah, great answer. And and yes, that's kind of like it is actually an, uh, it, I wasn't expecting you to say no. I was thinking about going back to back to a job. It was a great, great answer because I believe that um, in those times it's you you're kind of working out where you want to go. And I remember from when I was in that position, I was similar to you and I just wanted to put food on the on the table for my family. Um, but then you mentioned it. You then got a um, the drive went up through the roof after you'd come out of that. And I feel like that's with me now. And it, it is that my drive is so much bigger than what, what it was before, before I lost my business. So what do you think it is, is that that creates that extra drive when you go through a bit of adversity and a bit of a downturn to then build, start building back up and then, and then that drive keep pushing you. What do you think that is? Do you think that's part of your ego or is that part of the fact of where you've been and where you want to go? I think, I think at first, it was um, the best way I knew how to put food on the table, as you say, was through being in business. Like for me to go and find a job and then get paid for that job, like it was too slow for me. Like I wouldn't have been able to, I knew that I could generate thousands of pounds within a matter of days. And actually my financial position at the time and the lifestyle that I led demanded that like going and getting a job almost wasn't an option because it would have been it would have taken too long and it wouldn't have provided me with enough money so it was almost like that was a non-starter um so initially though it was head down focus on how do i generate cash quick um which i did and then once we got back to a kind of place of some stability i then started asking like what's you know what's the greater purpose in this which i wasn't doing at first at first it was like how do i put you know food on the table how do i pay the bills which which got me into action so initially it was a moving away from motivation it was i want to move away from not having enough money move away from worrying about paying the bills it was definitely that was my motivation at first but then once i'd solved that problem it was like well now what and i was like well what do i want to create um what purpose do i want to serve in the world in the in the uh, in our industry in the market which i couldn't think that way when I was at ground zero, because there was more urgent matters um, personally uh, that were around at the time. But once we got past that, then it became, you know, th then it became more um, thinking about what I could possibly create and what the opportunities were and less about what I wanted to move away from. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely love that. And then so as you started to look at the opportunities, this idea of Expert Empires event came up. Um, Tell me more about that because that was a bit of a a bit of a, a calculated risk at first, though, wasn't it? Because you were getting, you got was it Gary V was the first one you got in. Vaynerchuk was the first headliner, so I think you know it was. I think most people at the time thought that it was you know a big gamble to run that event. Um, but bear in mind, I had been running events for years before, so I knew the structure of you know how to make that financially viable and. Um, but it was still the biggest financial risk I'd ever taken to run that event. Um, but it came from it came from a place of first of all, I felt like I was playing too small, um, and I got a little bit frustrated about that. And I knew that I had more to offer, and I thought I, I thought there was a need in the industry for a different type of business event that was um, you know not free to attend and then sell, sell, sell. I thought there was an opportunity, uh, a desire in the industry for somebody to put together something of high value. Um, that what you know that wasn't cheap or free, but was you know a, a significant investment of time and money. But then people would get real value from it. Um, and so you know I I, uh, I crunched the numbers and decided to get Gary Vaynerchuk to headline the first one at great expense. Um, but it came from a uh, some certainty that I'd got from previous experience that I knew how to make the financial model work. 
and B, probably a bit of ego, um, probably B, it was probably still, if I'm being really brutally honest with myself, it was probably still a little bit of, I want to prove to myself and everybody else that I am more than capable of, of, first of all, building back what I had before and bigger. And so it was a bit of a statement, really, I think, for, for me of intent to go, like, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to have that be my greatest achievement. I'm now going to go and do more. Um, and yeah, you know, Expert Empires, we've had, I think we've run 13 of them now. Um, you know, uh, anything between, um, I think the biggest audience we've had was about 850. So anything between, you know, I think the, some of them have been maybe three, 400, and the biggest one's been 850 plus. Um, you know, we've had thousands of people now come through the doors um, and had some amazing speakers. And, and, the truth is, the reason I did it was partly what I just mentioned, you know, partly proving to myself and proving to others uh, that I could, but also um, I love doing it. Like that, that is the place where I um, get all my needs met. You know, also, I am one of those people. I do enjoy proving other people wrong. I do enjoy taking some risks. Um, like I'm not naturally a kind of steady Eddie or, or somebody that plays it all safe. You know, I do like to you know, put my neck on the line a little bit, which is what we did with Expert Empires first time round, and we've continued to do that consistently. So, yeah, I think there was there was a few reasons we did that. Um, and, you know, fortunately it paid off. Yeah, well, well, I mean, it did. And I only became into that world a year and a bit, year and a half ago. And I remember my first Expert Empires and it was just a hell of a buzz and it was something that I'd not experienced before and just the value. And not only that, like you've, you've done really well at bringing in some amazing speakers, but talking about culture again and the culture of your team you've got the culture of the people that come to expert empires there because actually the the it's not just the speakers and and what you guys do in the room it's all the, the conversations and all the all the relationships that are built around when everyone's going out for breaks and things so it's certainly well, that, that was a big the part value. that was a big part of it and by the way which was the who was the headline speaker first one you came to um i came into it through it was rob moore was not the headline speaker who was it lisa johnson i think lisa johnson and um stephen bartlett was september was it ed Barlett? no it ed was Barlett, no it was um uh, marie folio yeah and lisa johnson yeah so so i think um part, part of the vision as well for expert empires was it was inspired by an event um, called Traffic and Conversion Summit, um, which uh, which was created by a guy called Ryan Dice, um, who is a, I wouldn't say we're best mates, but he's a friend of mine. And um, I'd been attending that event for years. I never missed one. I probably went five years in a row in San Diego. And what I loved about the event, yes, there were some great speakers, and yes, there was a lot of great, um, great content shared. But what I loved most was it was like the place where all the smartest marketers in the world would gather. Um, and I thought to myself, there isn't a place where all the smartest expert business owners, entrepreneurs in the UK gather, um, but there should be. So um, Expert Empires was, I mean, you know, originally, uh, you know, it was an event for people that ran expert businesses, coaches, consultants, speakers, trainers, authors, agency owners, that kind of crowd. Um, it's now kind of expanded um, by accident. I didn't, you know, it wasn't really ever intentional, but it's kind of expanded now um, to, to serve a much wider um, business audience and entrepreneurs. Um, but really the inspiration was from my experience of being at Traffic and Conversion Summit over, over many years and just loved the environment, the connections, um, you know, the, the partnerships, the collaborations that I formed from being there. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, if I can create something in the UK, which brings people like that together, then, um, you know, not only, you know, can we bring some of the best speakers in the world in and share great content, but we, it's creating that, um, that environment, that place where everyone can come together and connect and collaborate. Um, and so, you know, we, we deliberately created opportunities around the event. You know, we have like, um, yeah, the Empire Party on the middle night of the event. Um, and, you know, we host, we host lunches and dinners and things like that for certain ticket holders um, to, to create that environment um and for me that's that's really important yeah and, and you've absolutely nailed it from my perspective like the coming there the buzz that i get from those two days it's like it's the exciting time thing to look forward to it's the event in the two events in my diary every year that i'm like yes i'm looking forward to that because of for that whole reason um 
So what I wanted to talk about quickly, Nick, because I know we've, we've got short time, um, is that I've in the last five years, I've been part of different masterminds and I've had different mentors and coaches and they've always given me the strategies, the tactics, the books to go and read, the courses to go and do. But it wasn't until I met you that you were really talking about um, how you look after yourself and your mental, emotional well-being. Um, and I know we've talked about that a little bit um, already through this podcast of, of the, that kind of mindset because in pe in business people fail and win all the time and I think one of the reasons why a lot of people fail is because of it's the, themselves and what was really refreshing is that you going okay to, so you to, to turn up to be a good leader you need to look after yourself so tell me about um, that and is, is that something that you've always had part of your mentoring and masterminds or is that something that's come in in recent years? Yeah it's definitely been more recent um, but I think it's always been a big part of um, building my relative success. You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that um, I'm, you know, Elon Musk or Bill Gates, but, you know, uh, it's always been a big part of build, building the, the relative success. But I think I learned it when I was 12, you know, that, that you are, I am 100% responsible for everything that I think, feel, do and create, no exceptions. So I think, first of all, that's a, a deep belief that's inside of me. And, you know, then I go, well, if that's true, then surely looking after myself first um, and ensuring that I've got um, the best energy possible and that I'm sleeping well and that I'm, you know, my, my mind's clear um, and I can think straight and I'm hydrated and well-nourished and all these things. I go, when I do that, everything else seems to happen easy more easily uh, more effortlessly and so i think you know for me um we do talk about that um not all the time but you know part of the time with our clients because i go look i can give you the best marketing campaign in the world we can teach you all the things on how to sell more products and services but you won't do those things at all or if you do you won't do them very well unless you're in the best possible state um and so we do talk about personal performance a lot um, you know, as you know, Henry, I'm a little bit obsessed with nutrition and training and all of these things. So I go, look, I, I just know that when I do those things, and it's not about me lecturing people, telling them what they should or shouldn't do, but when I do those things, my business improves. When I haven't done those things in the past, there's been a knock-on effect in my business. Um, so, yeah, I, I just believe that um, you, as the business owner, the you know, the person that's leading the company you are the most important person in that company i'm not suggesting that your team aren't important i'm not suggesting that your clients aren't important but you're the most important because everything else follows that you know if you're not in great energy guess what you, your team aren't going to be if your team aren't in great energy they're probably not going to do a very good job of marketing and selling and delivering your products and services so it all starts with you um and the i guess the the um this is good news and bad news equally the, the news, good and bad, is that you um, you are like the, uh, I said you're the most important, but um, you are the greatest strength in your business when you're on, on form. And you've also got the capacity to be the greatest weakness in the business when you're not. And so I think you've got a responsibility. If you want to build an amazing business, if you want to make an impact in the world, if you want to um, be a great leader for the people in your team, then you've got a responsibility, um, a duty to really look after yourself first. Yeah, absolutely love that. And and I know you've always asked after reading the one thing and I read that book as well is like, what's the one thing that brings it all together that makes everything, um, every, I, I can't remember exactly what it says, but the one thing that you do when everything else doesn't matter anymore. And for me, it's it's fitness and looking after myself. And that's something something that is very much, I think I said it yesterday when I was on, on your panel that since being part of Expert Empires, I have lost weight. That's not the primary reason why I came to Expert Empires, but it's it's that one thing when I spend time developing myself mentally physically and everything else then I, I turn up 10 times more as a leader you're exactly right with that yeah well the question is what's the one thing that makes everything else easier or completely unnecessary and in your case that's training and in my case it's the same um but also there are other things like nutrition and hydration and sleep and but 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 for most people just asking that question what's the one thing that when you do it or stop doing it will make everything else easier or completely unnecessary. Um, that's, for me, that's sometimes a great, it's a great question to ask because it's simpler, it's more simple 
than than setting 10 goals and then you have to work on all of them. It's like if you just do one thing that makes everything else easier or completely necessary, then um, it's easier to focus on that one goal and um, or that one thing. And then, you know, it will benefit you in loads of different ways. Absolutely love that. Um, so just final question before we go. What is your thoughts, views on the word failure and fail forward? Um, I think failure can be hard emotionally, mentally. Um, I think failure is inevitable. I think everybody at some point is going to fail in some area. Um, and I think how you feel about it is a choice. You are inevitably going to fail at something at some point, probably many things um, at many times in your life. Um, the question really is what meaning do you give it? Um, and what I love about the title of this podcast is Fail Forward. Um, you know, that implies that every failure is an opportunity to, to move forward as well, which I believe it is. And so I, I think what the, the question you should ask yourself really is when you have failures, which we inevitably do, what meaning are you giving it? What lesson can you learn and how can you use that to move forward? Um, and for me, that's, yeah, that's how I feel about failure. Yeah, absolutely love that. Fail forward all the way. So, Nick, I'm going to put in the bio um, links for people to be able to follow you. But if people want to come to Expert Empires, people want to um, follow you, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, so um, to keep up to date with what we're doing events-wise, go to expertempires.com um, and there'll be links there to various places where you can check out our event schedule. Um, and probably the best place to follow me is on Instagram, at Nick James Events. Um, but you can put links and stuff in the in the description from the podcast i guess perfect well thanks so much for coming on today really appreciate your time and really appreciate everything you do with expert empires yeah thank you mate thanks for having me i've enjoyed it